All right, we're in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 17 through 24 tonight. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Paul continues now and he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the harden, their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, that's what section we're going to try to really unpack tonight and to take some time to really break down. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there's a lot of talking about what's going on in our minds and in our spirit and in our hearts. And that's what we're going to wrestle with tonight. This whole. Well, let me just say this to you to kind of help you get kind of a foundation for where we're going to go. Uh, back in Deuteronomy, the Bible says that we are to love the Lord our God with all our what? Heart, soul. No, it doesn't say mind in Deuteronomy. It says in Deuteronomy, it says heart, soul and strength. Now, this is important. This is right. Now, when Jesus comes on the scene, he quotes from there and he adds the word mind. Now, he's allowed to add words because he wrote the book. All right. He is the word. So but listen, I think it's wonderful that Jesus added the word mind. It will help us because let's be honest. If, if, if I said to you, love the Lord with all your soul. How do we do that? I mean, let's be honest. We have a hard time really understanding the whole concept of the soul. Well, love the Lord with all your heart. Then <laughs> again, that's, that's kind of nebulous to us. Love the Lord with all your strength. Am I going to break bricks for him? What do you want me to do? But you know what? The fact that Jesus gives us that word mind will really help us. You know why? That's the part of you that is not only physical, but also connects to the spiritual. And so when we start talking about the heart today, when we start looking at the scriptures and we start talking about your soul and your heart and being renewed, I want you to understand that this battle is being waged in your mind. Why? Because it is the part of you which connects your physical you with the supernatural spiritual you. And you may not understand about your heart or about your soul or about your whatever, but you will understand about your mind, hopefully. Right. Hopefully you understand that you've got a brain and you've got a mind. But there's a, there's a way in which this wonderful design of God, this brain that we've been given, somehow connects to the real us as well. And that's where we're going to be starting to move into to look at, because in this passage, as you will see, he talks about this issue. And so we're going to have some fun tonight, really kind of breaking that down. But before we go there, I've got to clarify something. You see here when he says in verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. When he uses the word Gentiles here, he's not talking about the uncircumcised versus the circumcised. He's not talking about Gentiles versus Jews in that sense. What he's doing is he's referring to those who are outside of God. And he used the term Gentiles to refer to those who don't know 
know God, or as I put in my notes, those who live like his readers used to live. Because go with me back to chapter 2 of Ephesians. Look at verses 11, uh, 12, and 13. What did Paul say to his hearers? He said, therefore remember, Hebrews chapter 2, I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, who, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So when he uses this term Gentiles here and he says, don't live like the Gentiles, he's not talking circumcision versus uncircumcision. He's talking about the way that they use used to live, who they used to be, those who are alienated from Christ. That's what he's talking about. But now look closely in verse 18 at how Paul describes them. He says they're darkened in their understanding. They're darkened in their understanding. But now look closely, though, look real close at this passage and you see this issue, this being darkened in their understanding is not an issue of head knowledge, but it's an issue of heart knowledge. Now, I'm going to say something to you tonight that might be contradictory to what you've been taught in the church. All right, so, so, so stick with me here, but look closely at what, what Paul says in verse 18. He says, they, those who are outside of Christ, alienated, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to what? The fact that they couldn't understand it in their brain? Hardness of their heart. And so I'm going to say something to you that I think I can prove from Scripture, and we're going to lay it all out. We've always been taught to have it move, the truth of God move from here to here. Haven't you ever heard that? You know, have the truth of God move from your head to your heart. I'm going to actually suggest to you that I don't think the Bible teaches that it starts here and needs to move here. I believe the Bible teaches that it has to start here or it never gets anywhere. Yes, the heart. And again, heart, soul, that part of you that we can't really put a hand on handle on. That's it's connected to our minds. Yes. But I want to show you from Scripture. I think that before it can even really affect our minds. It has to take root here. And then from there, it will manifest itself in all of our life. You understand what I'm saying? So I used to say the same thing. You know, you got to move it from here to here. I don't think the Bible teaches that. And let me lay this out for you and show you what I'm talking about. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you're not sure where Ecclesiastes, that's okay. Proverbs, you know where that is. There's Psalms and Proverbs. Ecclesiastes is right after Proverbs. And in chapter 3, look at verse 11. There's a lot of places we could look at this kind of a thing, but verse 11 lays it out for us pretty good. He says, uh, He, meaning God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Actually, throughout this book, Solomon keeps bringing out the fact that you're not going to be able to figure God out. Solomon says, man, I tried this to figure God out. I tried this to figure God out. I tried this and that. You know what I came to realize? I can't figure God out. Yet at the same time, look at what he says. He says, God has put eternity in the heart of men. In other words, everybody knows that this life is not all there is. Oh, this, those who pretend that this is all there is. And there are the Sadducees, if you know, that believe that there was no resurrection. There's those who call themselves atheists and all this kind of stuff. But to be really honest with you, according to the scriptures, if you understand a passage we're going to look at in a little bit in Romans chapter 1, which says everyone's without excuse because God's revealed himself. And this passage here, God has put eternity in the hearts of men. Guess what? There's nobody that doesn't deep down know that there is more to this life. The issue is whether or not we like 
or like the idea or not, whether or not we're willing to submit ourselves and surrender to the fact that we're not God. But where does it, without a student, go ahead. The other part that in conversations today that are becoming very apparent in the world, the importance of the heart and the spirit is God is spirit. We worship spirit to spirit. People want to take that away because they do not want to address the fact that we are created in the image of God. That's correct. As, as rat, as dog, as boy. And if man can be nothing more than an animal without a spirit, he's not created in the image of God, and therefore... Well, and you brought up a really good point here, Sheila. Let me, let me throw this out to you as well. I know of a friend of mine who had an episode where she had two friends, and one friend killed the other friend. And this friend of mine was wrestling with this issue now. It was tearing her up because they were both her friends. The one who killed the other friend, it was not like, well, I wonder if she did it. Everybody knew she did it, and she's in jail because of it. This other friend now that has the other friends was being wrestling with the fact that, man, she's my friend, but why do I, why do I want her to be punished for what she's done? And it was a great opportunity for me to talk to this lady and say to her, well, you're sitting there thinking that... Uh, um, she should be punished for what she's done. You're just proving that there's a God. She goes, what do you mean? I said, well, if we're all just animals, as the world tries to say, if we've all just evolved and we're just another animal form, nobody thinks that the lion, when it eats the zebra, needs to be put in jail. I mean, that's, I mean don't you, aren't you, haven't you been taught about natural law, natural selection, and, you know, hey, survival of the fittest? Why are we all of a sudden getting up so upset about this if we're just animals? And this lady, her eyes opened up and she went, wow, there must be a God. Do you understand? It, there is that element to us. But I want you to see, where did God put this knowledge of eternity? Did he put it in the head? He put it in the heart. Oh, we'll try to figure it out. Good luck. Good luck. Let me show you another passage. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And, and be honest with you, I was real close to spending the whole study tonight just looking at this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at. I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18, and we're going to go all the way into chapter 2, verse 16. So I'm going to read this whole section to you. And like I said, as I was doing my study, I literally almost made the whole study just this section. But I think God said that he wanted some more things that we wanted to look at. So we're going to just we're going to read it slow, though, because there's a lot of truth in here is going to be referenced throughout the rest of the study. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 18. Look at what Paul says here, and God speaking through Paul. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, God says this, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is now despised in the or low, low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. By the way, let me just say that real quick. You know how in this world today we're trying to figure out God? And everybody's trying to reason and argue and prove that they have understanding. God's made it so that the child can have faith. And that way nobody gets any credit. It's not, we, we've, we've made intellect, and I'm about to go down that road in just a second. We made intellect too important nowadays in the church. And in doing so, we're saying that those who have more smarts than others can get closer to God or can know more about God. That's not what the Bible teaches. And so that's what Paul's saying here. He said, guys, I'm not beating you up, making you feel bad or anything, but let's be honest. <laughs> a lot of you guys aren't on the road scholar list, are you? But you understand truth that a lot of the world will never understand because they're trying to do it here when I've sent it here first. Now keep reading. Look at verse 28. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet... And then he makes a transition here. Look at this. Look at this word yet is a transition among the mature. We do impart wisdom. It's not like we're stupid, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages and for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of the person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. But now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God because they're folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, as you could see, why I wanted to just live in this section here. <laughs> But I think what God wants us to do, though, is go back to our section in Ephesians and keep what we've said here in mind, because it will really help us. So, look, there is a knowledge. There is a knowledge, but it comes from God. It's revealed in His Word. And if we allow it to affect our hearts, the rest of our lives will follow as we then live out the truth. I'm going to say this to you again. 
If you're trying to understand things of the Spirit and the things of God in human wisdom, you'll never get there. God's made it that way on purpose. And too many of us think that, man, if I just worded it just right, then they'll be able to get it. Maybe if I told it a different way. And you keep thinking that if you are able to craft the perfect sentence, then it'll sink in. You ever fallen into that mindset, haven't we all? We thought, well, maybe I just said it wrong. See, if you think it has to do with how you said it, you still don't get it. I remember one day, as God was showing me this, I was reading this story about this guy who was in prison somewhere overseas, and all he could do was find scraps of, of, of uh, pieces of the scripture, and they were like in the Psalms or something. And in his prison cell, he was reading these little passages that he found from the Psalms, and he got saved. I remember thinking, uh, you can't get saved reading the Psalms. I mean, haven't we already figured it out that you have to start in the Gospel of John? And then from there... But God said, oh, you still don't get it, Jim. It didn't have to do with whether or not you have figured me out, laid out the, pro the, the, the logical conclusion. If someone's going to get it, it has to take root in their heart and the Spirit of God opens their eyes. All we're to do is just share the truth. Now, let me just tell you, I'm telling you this for a reason, because for too often and for too long, many if not most Christians have fallen into the mindset of Jim can do a better job than I can, haven't you? Because I've been to school. He's had seminary training. He knows more of the Bible than me. And we think that there are those who could do a better job because they're more skilled. Mm, you still don't understand the power of God, do you? He can use anything and anyone. He can even use a donkey. Not saying, calling you a donkey, but he can even use a donkey if he wants to accomplish his purposes, right? The rocks will cry out if you need to. He didn't call educated men to spread his word. No, he didn't. And actually, he called fishermen and whatever and tax collectors to go out and preach the good news of the kingdom when they didn't even know what the kingdom was. Folks, take a deep breath. Just tell people about the good news of who God is and what Jesus has done. And don't worry about whether or not you have said it right. I used to beat myself up as a young preacher. I used to go home afterwards and think, well, man, I should have said this. Or, no, I shouldn't have said that. And uh, all that stuff. Until God said, are you trusting that I'm the one communicating this? Are you, why are you judging how you did? I was putting it on me. It's not on me. Now I walk into the pulpit or any opportunity that I have, and my attitude is this. This is going to be good. Because I'm going to do what God says to do, and I'm going to rest in him, and I want to let him do it. And when I'm done, I'm not going to second guess myself. If there's something that God wants to fix or correct or tweak or whatever, as, he, as I fan into flame the gift that he's given me, he'll show me. I don't have to spend all the time saying, how'd I do? How'd I do? He, so his first answer whenever you say, how'd I do, is it ain't about you. It's who exactly, exactly, exactly. And so he says, first of all, stop trying to figure out this God stuff with human wisdom. He's made it intentionally that human wisdom will never, ever get you there. Oh, but don't think we're stupid. We have a wisdom that God gives. And look at what he says here. He says, we have received it through his spirit. We have the mind of Christ. There is a depth of knowledge that we have. Now, don't make that run. You start thinking that you're a scholar all of a sudden. And no, 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 no. The issue is, we have knowledge, we have wisdom, and it's God's wisdom, and it will never be understood through human ways of understanding it. That's why I made in my notes here, um, <laughs> this is why classes of any kind will not help us unless they're teaching spiritual truth from God's Word. 
I'm just going to tell you straight up, folks. Self-help books will, are no help. I'm just going to tell you right now. Oh, you say, oh, no, they, they, they are. They're, they're helpful. I, I read this one book and it really meant now, Let me just tell you, the Bible says that unless it's done by God, by the power of God and his word, it really doesn't have a real effect. Self-help books are no help. Yeah, exactly. Well, the only book that will help is the is the book. You're right. But on top of that, also, um, I put in here, motivational tapes will only reach your head and not your heart if they don't contain God's word spoken in truth. Go with me to Luke chapter six. One last reminder of the fact that what we're talking about tonight, where we, we're going somewhere, by the way, we're going to be going to what Paul was saying to his hearers, and he's writing to Christians. Keep that in mind, because I'm going to ask you a question a little later, and I already gave you the answer, all right? But he's writing to Christians. But before we can really understand what, or know how to apply what Paul was saying to the Christians, is we need to understand what's happening here in Luke 6. Look at verses 43 through 45. Luke 6, 43. Jesus says this, he says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasures produces evil, for out of the abundance of where? The heart, the mouth speaks. You want to change in your life? You can't. I've heard too many people say, well, all you have to do is just, uh, you need to develop a habit. I've had so many people say, you know, you ever, you're having trouble reading your Bible? Well, all you got to do is just commit to do it 21 days in a row when you'll have developed a habit. And then, folks, that's man's way of doing stuff. Right. You want to change in your life, it's got to affect your heart. And what's the only thing that can affect our heart? The truth of the Word of God. And I'm going ahead of myself, but I'm going to give you a little heads up. It's you believing it and receiving it here. Not here. It doesn't need to move from here to here. It has to start here. All right. So this is what Paul says now. Now go back. And with all that said, listen again to what Paul's saying now to his hearers. He says, now this I say, Ephesians 4, verse 17, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer. He's talking to Christians. Walk as the Gentiles do. Those who don't know God in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. And then he makes this caveat, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And then we're going to get into the rest of that in just a little bit. I'm not going to take the time because of what time it is right now to, to go there. But if you want to look later on at Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 11 and Romans chapter 10, verse 17, where it talks about how faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. Word of God. I want you to understand, though, in that context, he's just talking about it's the word of God, which actually is what makes the difference in our lives. I'll just I'm going to read to you Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 11 real quick. And just I want you to hear what it's saying here. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 11 says it this way. He says, well, what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. 
That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe where? In your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. We just saw in Luke chapter 6 that out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. All right? In the same way, for you to be saved, you don't got to say it till you believe it. You need to believe it for you to say it. Oh, and guess what? There are those who profess it who don't possess it. And God is not measuring what we say. He's measuring what? What we believe, and that's in the heart, and he knows what you really believe. Now, folks, please understand where I'm going. I, my desire is not to beat you up tonight. My desire is not to have you question your salvation. My desire is to simply share with you a truth here to help you move forward in this growth toward what Paul prayed for us. Because this is where most Christians get stuck. Hear me. Most Christians, you're saved. You're going to heaven if you've been born again and given the Spirit of God. I'm not assuming that everybody in this, here, in this room is Christian. God will show you if you're not. And trust me, there's a big difference between wondering if you're saved and knowing you're lost. Okay? So what I want you to understand is, is if you're wondering if you're saved, that's not God talking to you. If you're not saved here tonight, God will show you and you'll know that you're lost. Do you understand what I'm saying? Satan loves to mess with us and make us question ourselves salvation. If I asked anybody if they've ever been down that road, we'd all raise every hand we got because Satan loves to mess with us to make us question whether or not we're really saved. But there's a big difference between questioning whether or not you're saved and knowing that you're, you're, you're lost. Okay. So my purpose is not to make you even question your salvation. My purpose tonight is to help you move into what Paul prayed for. But I want you to understand something. In the same way in which we have just been laying it out, you want to have whatever it is that God wants to move for your next level of growth in your life to manifest itself. It's got to take root here and you've got to believe it. And then your actions will show. So if you're having an issue of growth into, remember, the definition of maturity is hungering for more of God, whatever level of walk you are with him. If you're having a, a struggle with growth in maturity, the issue is you're believing the truth of God's word. Plain and simple. And so that's why later on you'll see he says he were to put off, take off of this and put on some other stuff. But it starts here. So before I get too far ahead of myself, let me just remind you. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verses 15 through 19a. It's the first part of uh, Chapter uh, verse verse nineteen. Galatians, Galatians, sorry, Ephesians chapter one, verses fifteen through the first part of verse nineteen. Listen again. Let me remind you of what Paul's praying for, because what he's dealing with here in Ephesians four seventeen through twenty four is an explanation of how it, what he's praying for will be manifest. All right. He says in verse fifteen, for this reason, because of, I heard, have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your what? Hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. All right. Now, go with me over to chapter three real quick in Ephesians. Look at verses 14 through 21. He's just prayed. Look, I'm praying that God will give you the wisdom and knowledge and revelation that you know him better and that in your heart you would really understand all that you've been given in this salvation. All right. 
Chapter 3, he says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you, remember it's by His power, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. That's your heart, your soul. That's that part of you that the mind is connected to. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the other saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he goes on and says to him, he's able to do more than we can even imagine. All right. Now, this is this is what Paul's been praying for. So now as we get into chapter four here and he starts giving these explanations and these instructions, all they are is a further teaching on how what he's been praying for them will be manifest. OK, so in order for us to kind of go where we need to go, and for us to understand God's role and our role in our experiencing God's growth and power in our lives, in our inner beings, we need to look at the process of salvation and those who receive it and those who don't. And I really think this is what we need to do. So go with me to Romans chapter 1 real quick in verses 16 and 17. Because I think if we understand again the process of salvation and who receives it and who doesn't and why... It will help us then know how to apply this same truth, these same principles to our lives when it comes to growing in our knowledge of the Lord. But look at verse chapter, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Look what Paul says. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, let me just stop. For years, many of us have heard this quoted, and people, how Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But when we hear the word God, gospel, or we hear the word salvation, all we hear is, pray this prayer, and you'll go to heaven. And I've got to remind you, as you've heard me say, when God talks about the gospel, he's talking about the whole aspect of it. See, the gospel is far more than if you trust Jesus as your Savior, you'll be forgiven of your sins and you'll go to heaven. Folks, that is just the very beginning of the gospel. The power of God to salvation. We hear the word salvation and we say, tell me your salvation story. Most of us, if not all of us, would just talk about the day when we prayed and received Christ as our Savior, right? How many of you, when you've been asked to share your salvation story, ever talked about what happens next? Good for you. It's rare, but that's a part of our salvation. I mean, it's the power of prayer, and it is the power of answered prayer, and remembering the answered prayer, and the phenomenal miracles. But right, but, but again, but then you're one of the rare few, let's be honest, that thinks that salvation is more than just the moment I trusted Christ. As I've said before, your salvation in God's eyes has three parts. Justification, sanctification, glorification. That's all salvation in the mind of God. So when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, first the power of God to salvation, he ain't talking about the day you trusted Christ. He's talking about this whole aspect. And here's the deal. In order for you to experience all that there is in this salvation, that's why Paul says, I wish I had prayed to Christians that God would open your eyes, that you would understand the power that's available, the hope to which you've called, all that's available for us as Christians. Now, again, like you know me, we're not going to run down wacky roads that are unbiblical, but there's a lot more stuff than most Christians understand. And many of us struggle most of our lives thanking God we're saved, wondering why he would ever save us, questioning whether or not we're really saved, still struggling with sin in all these areas. And we don't really move on to maturity very much. Why? Because most of us still look at everything through man's eyes. I think someone wrote a book about that. But let me just say, let me say this. 
In the same way, though, in which these principles for how you begin this process of salvation begin, the same principles apply to how you can move on from faith to faith, as he was talking about. All right? From faith to faith. Yes, your faith started. That's wonderful. But how's your faith doing now? Because the righteous will live by faith. Did you catch that? How's your faith now? What's God doing in your life right now? Exactly. So go with me to Romans chapter 1 and look at verse 18 through 21. We're going to talk about how God presents his offer of salvation or the beginning of salvation, if you will, to the world. And we're going to look at who receives it and who doesn't and how it all works, because that'll help us where we need to go. For, go ahead. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodlessness, or ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Keep that in mind. It's important for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made so that they are without excuse for although they knew God. They didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Does that sound familiar? Does anybody, does anybody catch something there that he just said? How did he describe the Gentiles, those who are alienated from God? They were darkened in their understanding because of the hardness of their hearts. You're going to see here in this section of Romans and a lot of section of Romans, very similar to what Paul's teaching us here in Ephesians 4. But what does he say? I'm going to ask you a simple question here now. According to what Paul just said, did those who rejected God's truth have God's truth revealed to them? Yes. yes. By the way, without excuse, he uses words like clearly seen from the beginning of creation. Understand this. Everything God wants for you, he makes known to you. That's why Paul could pray. I pray that God would open your eyes so he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That doesn't mean you're going to experience it in the sense of applying what God's opening your eyes to, in the same way in which in order for someone to be saved, God reveals, but they have to respond in faith. In the same way now, for you to apply as a Christian what is available to you in the whole of your salvation, the power of God to salvation, the whole aspect of it, for you to experience it just like you had to apply by faith and believe it was true and act on it in that way in order to be saved in the beginning part, the justification, now this growth stuff that Paul's praying for us, the strengthening in our inner man, experiencing all the fullness of Christ, Guess what? It's received the same way, and you're without excuse. Because the Bible said it all along. God's Spirit within you has been tugging at you throughout your whole walk with Him, hasn't He? I mean, let's be honest, folks. Those of you who have been knowing Christ and the Spirit of God within you, you might not even fully grasp it, but if you think back, the Spirit of God has been lovingly calling you to continue to follow Him, has He not? He hasn't let you rest. Those of you that tried to walk away, how'd that work out for you? Yeah, those of you that try to kind of tune him out and you, you go through your Christian life and do your Christian thing, but you kind of tune him out when he's calling you to a deeper walk. How, how does that feel? Yeah, you know that the Spirit of God is lovingly continuing to reveal to you there's more. There's more. In the same way in which those who reject Christ suppress the truth. Many Christians, please don't hear me wrong, they're going to heaven. If you're a Christian, you're going to heaven because of God. But many Christians suppress this truth too. 
Now, again, we're not going to go to unbiblical realms where all of a sudden this, this, this power of God becomes stuff where we're in control and he's no longer in control. But let me just tell you, personally, from walking with him now for 40 years, I can honestly tell you that there is real change in me from the moment I trusted him as Savior, not just the moment I got saved and now I'm all different. Folks, there has been a progression and there has been a change and Jim is not even close to the same Jim he was before. And thank God, if Jesus tarries, I'm gonna continue to grow if I don't suppress the truth that his Spirit of God continues to reveal to me. All right, so keep this in mind. L let me show you one other thing real quick. Go jump to verse 28 in Romans chapter one. And since they, these are the ones who rejected God's offer and God's truth, and they suppressed it. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Why do they act like this? Why do those who don't know God act like that? Because that's what lost people, folks, we all live out of our heart. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful beyond, above all things and beyond cure. Did you catch that? Your heart's beyond cure. How, if my heart's beyond cure, how am I going to get a, well, I'm going to need a new heart. I need a heart transplanting. So the world's going to act like the world. We Christians shouldn't be looking down on them and saying, well, those heathens, well, folks, they're doing the best they can. They're doing who they are and what they are. Now, that's important. Yeah, go back now to Ephesians chapter four and listen again. Listen again to what Paul says to Christians. He talks about don't live like those Gentiles and the hardness of their heart and the darkening of their understanding. Verse 19, they have become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. We just read about that in Romans 1. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. If you don't mind underlining that, highlighting that, we're coming back to that because that is a key part. We'll come to back to that in a little bit. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I'm going to ask an honest question, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I want you to be honest. Is there anybody in this room that still struggles with the old life and greediness and sensuality and all that stuff? Me. Let me just tell you, I still do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let me just tell you, we all still do, don't we? Now, let me encourage you here real quick. Because at this point, it could easily, you could be sub, sub, um, subject or uh, suspect to Satan whispering in your ear and saying, well, Jim just said that those who live like that are living out of their hearts. So if you still do that, you don't, you're not saved. No, 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 no. Who's Paul writing to? This is that answer I already gave you the answer, the question I gave you the answer to. He's writing to Christians. And you know how we can prove it? Because he says, put off the old self and put on the new self. And the Christ only ones that have a new self is those of us who are in Christ. 
The person who is lost cannot take off old and put on a new if they've not been given anything new yet. So he's writing to Christians and he's saying, you're still living like this a little bit. You're not supposed to be. Now, Paul doesn't say, you horrible Christians, what hypocrites you are. He says, let me teach you. Let me teach you how to have this affect you, this truth, this new way, this new you that's in Christ. And the key is in this being renewed in our minds. But how do you get saved? Faith. Faith. But go specific. Give me some specifics. How, how, do you, how, do you, how do you come to a saving? Okay, you hear the word of truth. The Spirit of God opens your eyes that you're a sinner and that you need this salvation because however he gets us all there, all of us, we come different ways. I know Becky shared her testimony before. She got saved when she was six years old, but it was right after she had stolen a toy. She went to her friend's house and you remember those little um, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck things you push the bottom and it does trapeze, you know, you know what I'm remember those? They used to do the flips. Those are the big deal. Now it's all this Xbox stuff. But man, back then you could flip a Donald Duck for hours, couldn't you? It was pretty cool. <laughs> Becky was over a friend's house and she took it. She's driving home with her mom, picked her up at the friends and her mom looks in the rearview mirror and there's Becky back there. Her mom says, uh, did you take that? And of course, Becky said, yeah. And Becky's mom turned her around, drove her back and made her go and apologize and give the thing back. Well, it wasn't long after that, that she was at a vacation Bible school and there was a puppet show. And the puppet show explained that people that lie break God's law and they need to be saved or else they're going to go to hell. And she couldn't understand her lostness and her need of a savior at six years old. That's how God did it in her life. Now, some of you, you might have been down a long, hard road of ignoring God's calls. You might have a lot of scars and how this. But in some way, somehow, God gets you to that point where you realize I can't save myself. I need him to give me righteousness. Uh, flesh and blood didn't open your eyes to that, folks. When Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Johnson. He did say that. <laughs> Simon, son of John, Simon Johnson. He said, uh, he said, blessed are you. Flesh and blood hasn't opened your eyes to that. So, folks, you understand it wasn't that it started here and then made it to here. It took root here. You heard the word of truth. You believed it. And you received it. Now, Paul has been praying that we would hear what's all there still. It's not, thank God I'm going to heaven. There's more to it. You just agreed that, already, that throughout your life, the Spirit of God's been calling you to a deeper walk. He's not been letting you just be comfortable in the fact you're going to heaven when you die. But there's more. He's been convicting you when you sin and you've had to wrestle with this whole, am I lost, am I saved? And he's confirmed in your heart and hopefully you put that helmet of salvation on and cinched it on tight so Satan can't attack you there anymore. But he's been in this process of bringing you to a deeper understanding of what it means to be in him and to walk with him. And this is what Paul's praying for. But listen, you have to renew your mind by hearing truth, believing what God says, and having it take root here, or else it won't manifest itself in your life ever.
I don't care how much you try to do better. Like I told the people at the church I was at this past week, I said, look, I'm not going to give an altar call tonight where you come and rededicate yourself. Because all we typically do is rededicate our flesh. We walk, hard, we walk down the aisle and say, I'll do better. I'll try harder. I'm going to stop doing this. And all you're doing is rededicating your flesh. You can't do it. You need to just surrender and believe that God will. And you know what? You don't even have to walk down an aisle for that to get right. You can sit right where you are and say, I believe. I believe. And folks, let me just tell you from personal experience, when you really believe, not just say you believe, when you really believe what God says, well, in Romans 6, we don't have time to turn there. I was going to take you to Romans 6, verses 1 through 23. Write that down and go look at it yourself. Paul pretty much says you were dead in your sins, but God's made you alive. You were baptized. You were buried in Christ. He says, don't let sin reign in your, in your bodies anymore. <laughs> what are you talking about, Paul? I've tried. and No, you still don't get it, do you? It comes out of your connection with Christ. In the same way in which Christ is dead to sin, sin has no power over him. You've been put in him. If you would really believe that, you would understand you have power to say no to sin now. But if you keep trying to stop, you won't. Doesn't mean you're not saved. You're just, you're suppressing truth. The truth is this. There's a power within you, in your inner being. It's God himself. He is a loving, patient God who doesn't force himself. He doesn't walk you around like a puppet on a string, but he lovingly from within calls to you and says, believe what I said. Let me give you an example. I'm, I've shared this probably with some people in the past, and I might even have shared it here, but this takes, this manifests itself in all sorts of ways. I don't know about you. Some of you might be struggling with financial struggles. Oh, even though the Bible says, uh, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Well, that, you don't say, well, that doesn't have to do with the money. It has everything to do with money. Listen to the whole rest of that passage. See, because when we love to quote, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, most of us have never understood that in the context of that passage in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the rest of that verse says this, keep yourselves free from the love of money, for God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Folks, do you understand? The context of never will I leave you, never will I forsake you is tied to money. <coughs> Yet most of us still struggle worrying about whether or not we're going to pay a bill. I've been there. I still get to that point. We had two cars. We got one transmission being replaced to, to, to this week and then another brake job that was four hundred something dollars today. And we were Becky and I are acting like newlyweds today. We're driving around with one car. Hey, can you pick me up? Can you come pick me up and riding around? And and uh, as how we lived for the first few years of our life with one vehicle, we went from four cars to one this week. And I know that in this life, there are things that happen like that. But there was a time about three years ago when I got so tired of the up and the down when the gifts come into the ministry and when they don't. I got so sick of it. I went to the P.O. box like I always did. And if there were checks, I felt good. And if there weren't checks, I was like worried about paying the bills. And I finally drove down the road and I said, God, all it takes to run this ministry is a little over 100,000 a year, 110, 115,000 a year. I don't get all that. Don't sit there and panic and say, stop giving him money. But uh, <laughs> But that covers everything. Travel, expenses, publishing, it, it, all that. It, insurances, everything. It covers it all. I said, Lord, for some Christian out there, that's pocket change. There, there many, I know many Christians across the country that for them, that's pocket change. And I said, Lord, wouldn't it be neat if you would have a man give me a call and tell me, Jim, I don't want you to ever worry about money ever again. 
I want you just to focus on preaching the word of God. I will personally make sure that you have all that you need. Don't worry about money ever again. Lord, that would make me feel so much more at ease. Five minutes down the road, God says, why didn't you believe me when I made you that promise? But see, this, listen, what God was doing was showing me my heart. Let me ask you a question. It'll show you your heart. God said that he will meet all of our needs, hasn't he? Hasn't he said everything you ask, I ask you to do, I'll make sure it's taken care of. I remember when he sent them out two by two and he said, don't bring anything. He's trying to teach them. Back in Luke 22, right before the cross, he reminds them of that. And he says this, it's around verse 35. He said, when I sent you out two by two, did you lack anything? Their answer was no. Now, let me just say, let me ask you a question. You've just heard me say, and you've been all sitting there nodding in agreement, that God has promised to take care of you financially, correct? He'll never leave you nor forsake you tied to money. And would you feel better if God had already just put it in your bank account or if he had it in his pocket and it said, whenever you need it, it's right here. Be honest with yourself. I came to realize the same thing. I felt better if it was in the bank account than if it was in my father's pocket. And that was him showing me the real issue of my heart. Well, <laughs> uh, you call God a crook, but I know, I know what you're saying. I know what you're, <laughs> I know what you're saying. But you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what that illustration? God wasn't mad at me. He knew my heart. He's known all along. But he was trying to get me to a place of showing me what he already knew was really in my heart. And what he does is many a time. Let me just give you a little heads up for what's going to happen the rest of your life. God's going to walk you through the next little issue to the next little issue to the next little issue. It's going to keep coming. It's going to look like cancer. It's going to look like a death. It's going to look like all sorts of different stuff. The issue is God is trying to grow you in your knowledge of him and to teach you how to trust him more. He'll use these situations to pull out what's really in your heart. You put that money in the bank. You're trusting in the money. And you're not trusting for God. You got it. That's the problem. Just, you yeah. Say, you know, I'd rather have it now. Yeah. But if you don't have it now, then you have to trust in him. If we put it in the bank, then it's, yep. well, I don't really need to trust him. I'm trusting that it's going to be in the bank. Exactly. And that's what he was showing me was he said, Jim, you even though if I were to just give it to you, you'd be trusting that, not me. And I had to be honest. The real issue for me was I really questioned whether or not he would really give it to me when I wanted it. <laughs> What's that? Well, that's true. That's, that's, that's part of that whole, that's part of that whole thing that he was showing me. Folks, the reason I shared this illustration to you was simply this. You are in a walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it talks about putting off your old self and put on the new self and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, understand this. This takes on all aspects of salvation, not just sin that we call like fornication and lust and all that. No, no, listen. The Bible says in Romans chapter 14, anything not done by faith is sin. Let me point out one last thing as we wrap up here. Well, what does it say? Well, you know this. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus says, you will know the truth and what? The truth will set you free. You got to know it here, not here. How many of us have said, I know. No, you don't. I know. No, you don't. Yes. It's, it's everything. God, if you would just show me what's next, if you would just show me where we're going, I'd be fine with this instead of walk each step. And do we really trust him? Or 
is the issue of our heart. We want to be in control and not him. There's lots of different things. Folks, we've all got different heart issues. But listen, God's in the process of moving you from faith to faith. But you ready to move? It's got to take root here. You see, in the Greek, most everything that Paul wrote for Christians, he wrote as past tense. If you do a study of Paul's writings, almost everything he writes about Christians, he writes in the past tense, already done. But the tense he uses here, when he talks about re being renewed in the spirit of your minds, it's in the present tense. In other words, this is a continual thing. This is going to have to happen every day throughout the day. We need to renew our minds, not get it here. When we renew our minds, what do we have to start with? We go here. Do I really believe it? Not do I know the right verse and do I know the right answer? You all can get the right answer. Do you know it here? How often have we said, I know, but? The but shows you don't really know. Do you know it here? And the only way that's going to get fixed is if you know what God has said and you believe him. Wouldn't you say the same thing to a person that's right now struggling with whether or not they're going to trust Christ as their savior? You've got to stop trying to figure it out and you've got to believe what he said and just believe it here. And when you do, he takes over from there in the same way for you as Christians. And we'll come back and deal with this more next week. As Christians, whatever it is that God's trying to deal with you about, whether it's a worry or a struggle or a fear or a control issue or whatever it is, as he's moving you in this whole part of salvation, don't be ashamed of the gospel, the whole power of God for all of salvation, moving you from faith to faith. Whatever it is he's working with you on, you can't take a class and you'll get it. The teaching is fine, but it's got to take root here. And when it does, guess what? You will be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Did you catch that? In the what of your mind? The spirit of your mind. That part of you that is connected from here to here. How do we do that? Well, quote to me a verse that you can quote. I'll start it for you. If you want it King James, I'll start it King James this way. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable. And, all right, now listen closely. Very good. Listen, listen closely. Listen closely. Be transformed by the what? Let me help you out. That's another one of those words that Paul put in the present tense. If you want to help you with it, add this word when you quote it. Daily renewing of your mind. But if you don't know what he said, if you don't know what his promise is, if you keep looking at it with, I think you're never going to get there. What has he said? But Jim, my situation's no, it's not different. Not different. The issue is a heart issue. Well, that might be easy for you, but for me, no, that's a heart issue. But you don't know the situation that I'm, that's a heart issue. Do you understand all these things we put up to try to keep him away from what's really here? We want to put it on a horizontal yeah, vertical. exactly. Let me tell you this, though. God's not mad. He's not mad. He knows. The reason he's put you in this test is to show you your heart. And when you fail the test, he's not mad because the test accomplished its purpose. It showed you what he already knew. Now. You want to move forward? 
Believe him. Believe him. Now walk out of here believing that what he said is true. And you watch how God manifests itself. Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for, uh, for what you're going to do as we daily begin to start applying these truths. Because we're about to get into specifics. We're about to get into, well, clear commands on how we're to live. Husbands loving their wives, children obeying their parents, wives submitting to their husbands. All these things, Lord, there are going to be a lot of heart issues that are going to be revealed through this further on in the study. But Lord, at the same time, may we understand your love for us. And the fact that this is something you've known for a while and you've been working on and everything is just a continuation of this process of you conforming us into your image, which you predestined to do. Lord, may we understand that we have been saved, but we're being saved and one day we will be saved. And may we never be ashamed of the gospel, the power of your salvation that moves us from faith to faith. May we continue to grow May our eyes be opened. May we be strengthened in our inner being through the power of your spirit within us. May we believe that you will finish what you started and may we relax. Lord, a lot of us, one of our greatest ways of not dealing with what you're showing us is to spend our time looking at everybody else. Take our eyes off everybody else. And may we just rest on, on, in you. Lord, at the same time, may we not beat ourselves up. May we not spend too much time examining our navel but just trust that you as a loving parent will show us whatever it is that you want to show us. May we pray like David did. Lord, you know whether I get up and when I lay down, when I rise, before thoughts even on my tongue, you know it. Search me. You do the, you do the investigative work. I don't need to do it. Show me what's in my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and then you lead me in the way of everlasting. So Lord... May we believe that you're going to do what you said you'd do. May we just rest in that. We pray this in your name. Amen.